Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. What's up? Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 95 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 125 extra hours of listening pleasure. To see the full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There, you can see the entire list of Patreon episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Adrenochrome in which we discuss the rumors surrounding this chemical that the supposed elites consume. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over Freemasons. So how this episode will go today is that we will talk about what is a Freemason, and then we'll go into a little bit of the history of Freemasons. And then we'll transition into some strange facts and findings where we actually had an interview with a Freemason. And then we talk about the symbols and a bunch of other crazy stuff. And then we go into theories. And then, of course, we wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. Secret societies have flourished throughout history, and theories have surrounded them for centuries. Many brush them off as being not real, that these secret groups are made up as a story to tell over a campfire. But what if I told you that George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and even Buzz Aldrin were all part of the same group. This secret group has been around for centuries. They use arcane symbols, secret handshakes, and hold various rituals all behind closed doors. This is the Freemasons. All right. So to understand this entire topic, we need to first know what a Freemason is and a little history about them. So Dan, can you start us off with that? So Freemasons are individuals who are part of a worldwide secret society called Freemasonry. Now, this Freemasonry organization has been around for a long ass time. Members of this organization have included current and past politicians, engineers, scientists, writers, inventors, and many of these members have played prominent roles in world events over the course of history, such as revolutions, various wars, and intellectual movements. So needless to say, Freemasonry holds the world wrestling title, well not wrestling, just the world title of not only being the world's oldest fraternal organization, but it is also the world's largest organization with an estimated worldwide membership of around 6 million people. And uh, just a little side note here. I know this is probably obvious, 
But since it is a fraternal organization, that means its members are all men. Now, here recently, women have been able to become Freemasons, but we'll talk more about that a little later. Anyway, continue on. All right. So despite the Freemasonry being super old and having a lot of members, not many people know much about what goes on the inside of this organization, and it is sort of shrouded in mystery. The members, a.k.a. Freemasons, are bound together by secret rites of initiation and rituals that they perform together. Because of this, they keep a tight lip about what happens behind closed doors. Which, of course, this in turn creates several theories as to what this organization is truly doing. All right. So before we get into these theories, let's first talk about the history of Freemasonry and how it was created. Now, the questions of when, how, and why, and where Freemasonry originated from are kind of still the subject of intense speculation. However, the widely accepted view from many people is that Freemasonry started way back in the Middle Ages. During this time, there were guilds of stonemasons and cathedral builders in England. As the years passed, less and less cathedral buildings were being built. Some of these guilds of stonemasons and builders began to accept other members of this society that weren't part of their job group as sort of a way to bolster their declining membership. Now keep in mind that this is just speculation because we truly don't know when or why this organization was created. But what we do know is that the oldest document that talks about Freemasonry is the Hollowell Manuscript, also known as the Regios Poem, which that was in Latin and I had to roll my R. How do you like that, Dan? That was pretty good. Yeah. Anyways, this Regius poem uh, was written in Middle English around 1425. Now, the oldest document that talks about someone joining the Freemasonry and becoming a member of the organization was back in 1646 by an individual named Elias Ashmole. Now, Elias was a politician, officer of arms, astrologer, and student of alchemy. In the 1600s, he wrote in his diary that he joined the Freemasons. It said, October 16th, 1646, at 4.30 p.m., I was made a Freemason at Warrington in Lancashire with Henry Merriwing. The names of those that were there in this lodge was Mr. Rich Pinkett, Mr. James Collier, Mr. Rich Sankey, Henry Littler, John Ellum, Rich Ellum, and Hugh Brewer. So that diary entry tells us that the organization was created before 1646. After that diary entry, the history of this organization is more documented. For example, we know that on June 24, 1717, four London lodges, which by the way, a lodge is a building that all the Freemasons in that area go to. Each city or town has a Freemason lodge. You listeners, you go into your town, I bet your town will have a Freemason lodge in it. Yup. Okay. So in 1717, four London lodges decided to come together at St. Paul's Churchyard and declared themselves a Grand Lodge and elected Anthony Sayer as their Grand Master. Shortly after that, Freemasonry started expanding, and in 1733, the first American lodge was founded in Boston. Massachusetts, hey there, Boston pup, you want to come up and join our f***ing Freemasonry club? Pretty sweet up here, bitch. That's what they said to him. That's how they recruited others. Oh. Yeah. All right. So this Boston group of Freemasons stated that it was a fraternity that embodied European Enlightenment ideals of liberty, autonomy, and God, as well as their members of Masonic Brothers pledged to support one another and provide sanctuary if needed. Doesn't sound like a bad gig. I mean, sound like they kind of all support one another, you know? Yeah. So these views kind of created some friction and beef with some established Christian churches at the time, specifically Catholics and Lutherans. In 1738, the Catholic Church made a decree that prohibited Catholics from becoming Freemasons. Now, even though a lot of the founding fathers of the United States were Freemasons, which, you know, we get into that later, that didn't really matter to the church. And because of that, the organization fell under widespread suspicion. Then, in 1826, some drama went down that didn't help the Masons at all. 
So there was this individual named William Morgan, and he was going around telling people, hey, I know the secrets of the Freemasons, and I'm going to expose them in a book. Well, shortly after that, Morgan was allegedly, okay, allegedly abducted, and he was never seen again, and uh, people assumed that he was killed by some Freemasons. And by the way, we go way deeper into this story during Strange Facts and Findings, and it is very, very interesting what happened. But that's just a little sum up of, hey, this event happened, and this also attributed to people hating Freemasons. All right, so after that William Morgan drama, Freemasonry started to get more backlash from not only the church, but politicians as well. For example, 13th President of the United States, Millard Fillmore, called the Freemasons nothing better than organized treason. And side note, Fillmore made that statement before he became president. Just a little FYI. So then, in the 1830s, a political party known as the Anti-Masonic Party was formed. An actual party that was anti-Freemasons. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. It was formed in the United States. And the members of this party said that they were dedicated to countering what they believed was the Freemasons' political influence. Now, following that, things only got worse for the Masons. Because in 1850, a group of American Masons and some Mexican war veterans They decided to join forces and invade Cuba together to try to stir up drama against the Spanish crown at the time. Well, this group of American Masons and Mexican war veterans were unsuccessful and ended up retreating after suffering heavy casualties. Between 1870 and 1920, American Freemasonry, along with other memberships to fraternal societies in the United States, grew at a rapid rate. And this was called the Golden Age of Fraternalism. As a result of World War II, another influx of members to these societies occurred. However, following that, the membership took a hit and over the years, they continued to decline. In 2014, the Masonic Service Association of North America reported that there were only 1.2 million members under their associated Grand Lodges. And that is a little history of Freemasonry. Now, this is where we get into the juicy stuff, where we talk about the strange facts and findings about what the Freemasons do, their rituals, how to become one, in case you were interested in it, and a lot of other weird things, including a interview with a Freemason and a couple videos that we're going to listen to. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not go anywhere. All right. Welcome back. So, Dan. Do you want to tell us about our first strange fact and finding? So our first strange fact and finding we are going to discuss is what the Freemasons actually do, their rituals, and how to become one. So we actually ended up interviewing a Master Mason, but they didn't allow us to record the interview, so we had to take notes. Yep. It was a little awkward, you know, agreeing to an interview and then not allowing us to record it. So we had to dig out the old pen and paper and start writing it down. So what we're going to do is we're going to read off a transcript of this interview. Dan is going to be playing the part of the interviewer, and I will be the Freemason. So are you ready, Dan? Ready. All right. And action. All right, Mr. Master Mason, what the hell do you do? What do Freemasons do in general? Do y'all drink the blood of the innocent? Are you sacrificing babies? Yes, hell Satan. (laughs) (laughs) No, he didn't say that. No, uh, we don't do any of that. Freemasonry is not a religion or a substitute for religion. Freemasonry does not intrude on the religious beliefs of its members. Although uh, we do require that all of our members must have like a belief in a supreme being. But religion in general, it's, it's not really discussed at lodge meetings. Now, as for what we do, we do a lot of charity work with youth and family service groups, as well as food drives and stuff like that. We also take care of our community and our brothers. Uh, For example, every year uh, we visit the widows of the brothers who have passed away. Understandable. All right. Now, could you tell me a little bit more about the various degrees of Freemasonry? Sure. 
So in masonry, there are three degrees. There is the entered apprentice, the fellow craft, and master mason, which of course I am. And by advancing through these degrees, a Freemason learns the moral and ethical lessons of the Masonic Rite. Now, I heard rumors of y'all doing some weird ritualistic shit inside that lodge. Would you be willing to expand on that with us? So, we don't do anything weird. What I think you may be referring to is the initiation rites or the degree ceremonies. And what they are, they're, they're sort of like college fraternities. And if anybody who's been in a fraternity, they'll know what I'm talking about because it's sort of like an initiation ceremony. There's no violence. There's no weird stuff. And like I had previously stated, there are three different degrees. There's a apprentice, a fellow, and a master. And each one has its own ceremony and each one is different. Now, the candidate must take the new obligations of this degree. And what I mean by new obligations is that they have to swear on the religious volume sacred to his personal faith to do good as a Mason. So they bring their own religious volume. And that could be a Bible or whatever they believe in. But they have to swear on it that they will be a good Mason. Now, in the three degrees, Masons will promise to keep the secrets of their degree from any lower degrees and outsiders. And uh, each candidate is also entrusted with sort of some secret knowledge, such as uh, passwords, signs, and grips, aka secret handshakes, and that is confined to his new rank. For an example, during the ceremony of initiation, we each greet one another with a variety of handshakes. And these different handshakes are all based on each of our rank within the organization. So there is a different handshake for each degree. So to break that down in simpler terms, basically you memorize a bunch of shit and have to stand in front of other members and recite that from memory while the others watch. If you get all that correct, then you teach them the secret handshakes and signs according to what you said their rank? Um, I would agree with that statement. Now, I heard another rumor that during these rituals, or what you call ceremonies, y'all have a dude outside of the door with the sword ready to stab anyone who tries to get inside the lodge. Now, is that true? To a certain degree, yes. So all of our ceremonies are guarded by what is called a tiler. Now, this individual has a drawn sword, and his purpose is to keep out unqualified intruders. This officer, you know, aka the Tyler, is a senior brother. And this is because at the door, he may hear the highest degree ceremonies that might be going on at that current time. So I heard a rumor that the Freemasons actually hate women. And is that why you don't allow them in your little club? I mean, organization? That is not true. We don't hate women. Um, as a matter of fact, we actually have our wives or significant others at the lodge before meetings and during dinners. However, when we start up the ceremonies, they must leave. And it is true that uh, we only allow men to become members. Now, I do want to say this. There are female lodges. And I believe that the first one opened up, uh, I think, around 1908. And it is still open to this day. They even have a female grandmaster. And men, they're not permitted to join this lodge. All right. So let's say I want to become a Freemason myself. How do I become one? Do I have to get like an invitation? We do not recruit. If you want to become one, all you have to do is ask. Okay. Let's say that I do ask to become one. What happens after that? What stages do I go through? Okay, so let's say for an example, you make an inquiry that you want to become a Freemason. A formal application is then proposed and usually announced in Open Lodge. We would then do sort of like a, a formal interview with you. And then after that interview, if you still wish to pursue becoming a member, you would then give us some references. We then use those references and go and inquire into your suitability and character. So we ask, hey, how respectful and how 
professional is this individual and what is their character like? Following that, we would then hold an official secret ballot on your application at our lodge, and each brother of the lodge uh, gets a vote. Now, if you got a specific number of adverse ballots, which are called black balls, you would then be rejected. The required black balls to reject a candidate, they kind of vary uh, between jurisdictions. For an example, ours only requires three, and then you wouldn't be able to get in. However, the United Grand Lodge of England requires only one single black ball from any brother, and that candidate is rejected. All right, and that was the end of our interview, and I must say, it was extremely awkward. So there you go. The stuff we put ourselves through, ladies and gentlemen, to get this information to you. It was quite weird. All right. So that's our first strange fact and finding. And we have a lot more that we're going to touch on. But before we do, uh, we're going to take our last break right now. We're going to fit it in, get it over with. And then we're going to talk about the rest of our strange facts and findings. And then we roll into theories, which we have a ton of theories to go over. All right. So we'll take that break right now. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about our next strange fact and finding, which is the symbol and its meaning. So Dan, do you want to start that off for us? So like Aaron said, our next strange fact and finding is about the symbol and its meaning. Now, if you aren't familiar with this symbol, we will post a picture of it on our website under references. You just go to theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the references tab, and scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and the picture will be there to look at. So this Freemason symbol consists of three things. It's a builder square, which is pretty much two rulers uh, stuck together at each end, and it turns into a 90-degree angle. And then at the top is a compass. It's not the compass that you would think of, the north, south, east, west compass. It's a compass that you use in geometry class. It looks pretty much like two chopsticks that are connected and kind of spread apart at one end. And then in the middle of those two, you have the letter G, and that makes the Freemason symbol. Now, each part of the symbol has a meaning. The builder square, a.k.a. the two rulers connected and made into a 90-degree angle, is a tool that is critical for craftsmen to draw and carve perfect square corners. Having perfectly square corners when building is critical to ensuring buildings do not lean and are structurally strong and sound. In Freemasonry, this symbol is used to teach lessons of morality, the notion that being square in your action implies being honest and fair. The compass, a.k.a. geometry class tool that consists of two legs that are fixed together at one end with an adjustable hinge. Okay, so that tool is used for drawing perfect circles and arcs in geometry class, right? Well, this symbolizes self-restraint and man's ability to reign in his yearnings so that he may live a balanced life to draw a boundary line around our desires, to avoid overindulgence, and maintain moderation. Now the letter G in the middle has different meanings. For some, it stands for geometry, while others you know, say that it stands for God or the grand architect of the universe. So there you go. That's the Freemason symbol, and that is what it supposedly means. Okay? Now let's get into who has actually been a Freemason. So this is actually a pretty big list, and I didn't really know this until we started doing our research. Did you know that 13 of the 39 men who signed the U.S. Constitution were actually Freemasons? I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Well, get this, it gets even crazier. So the founding fathers, like George Washington, he was a master mason. And Benjamin Franklin, he was a founding member of the first Masonic Lodge in America. And it keeps going. So President Franklin D. Roosevelt and Gerald Ford, they were both Masons, as was Prime Minister of Great Britain Winston Churchill. He was a Mason too. Mozart, Davy Crockett, Duke Ellington, Nat King Cole, Henry Ford, and astronaut Buzz Aldrin were all Freemasons. Now, in total that we know of, Around 14 past United States presidents have been a Freemason, along with 18 vice presidents and roughly 40 Supreme Court justices have been known reputable and active Freemasons. Wow. 
All right. So tell us about this next thing, Dan. All right. So our next strange fact and finding is about Washington, D.C. and its layout. Now, we have a three minute audio clip from the author Jim Mars where he breaks down the weird Masonic images in Washington, D.C. So we will take a listen to that right now. Washington, D.C., as seen by Worldview 2, 480 miles above the Earth. From ground level, there's nothing unusual about the Capitol's street layout, except perhaps the frequent occurrence of circles like Logan and DuPont, and diagonal roads like Pennsylvania Avenue cutting across an otherwise rectangular street grid. But glimpsed from above, curious patterns begin to appear. Washington is uh, laid out in geometric patterns. You can discern squares and triangles. Many modern cities are laid out according to a pattern. But mostly, that pattern will be made up of rectangular blocks with roads running at 90-degree angles. When a pattern does deviate, it's normally to accommodate some kink or feature in the landscape. DC is different. There is no obvious reason for this strange layout of circles and streets. So what was in the minds of the men who designed the Capitol Street Plan back in 1791? George Washington, our original president, commissioned Charles L'Enfant to make the design for Washington, D.C. Pierre-Charles L'Enfant was a French architect and civil engineer. It was he who designed the strange layout, the diagonal avenues, the major intersections or circles. But it was George Washington who had final approval. Researcher and author Akram Elias thinks there's a clue in a painting of the city's foundation. Take a look at this painting depicting George Washington laying the cornerstone of the United States Capitol on September 18, 1793. In this and in other official portraits of the event, George Washington and the other senior figures are all wearing the full regalia of the Order of Freemasons. George Washington and Pierre Charles L'Enfant were Freemasons. President Washington was a top-ranking Mason, and the history, secrets, and codes of the Masons are embodied in the symbols commonly associated with the order. The pentagram, or blazing star, represents to Masons the shining light of God as seen by Moses when he is given the Ten Commandments. Its southernmost point is touching the White House. And the most important Masonic symbol, the square and compass, representing God the Creator and the architects of the Temple of Solomon. The compass is lying on its side. The top is marked by the streets surrounding the Capitol building. Its left arm points to the White House and its right to the Jefferson Memorial. Yeah, so I'll link that picture up on our website for anyone who wants to take a look at that. Uh, you just go to our website, like always, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on References, scroll all the way down, and uh, you'll see this picture of the star and the, um, the compass and kind of like the overhead shot of it. All right, uh, so let's go on to our next strange fact and finding, which is about the United States dollar. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about this? On the back of a United States dollar, you'll see a pyramid with an eye which is called the Eye of Providence. So this Eye of Providence is a symbol that depicts an eye enclosed in a triangle and surrounded by rays of light and is meant to represent divine providence, whereby the Eye of God watches over humanity. Now, a lot of people will claim that this all-seeing eye is not part of the Freemasons. However, according to George Washington Masonic National Memorial, the all-seeing eye is a Masonic symbol of the watchful care of the supreme architect that began appearing in printed Masonic literature. And that was around the mid-1700s. And this eye of providence that got turned into the great seal symbol that is on the back of our money was made in 1782. And who's on the United States dollar? George Washington. And you got the eye of providence in the back? Come on, man. It's either a big coincidence, you know, or... I mean... It reminds me of kind of like Bohemian Grove a little bit, you know? It does. Yeah. 
If you haven't listened to our Bohemian Grove episode, uh, go take a listen to it. It's very strange. All right, uh, so our next strange fact and finding has to do with Hitler. So during World War II, Hitler actually went after Freemasons. He stated that the Freemasonry was a Jewish-led fraternity that was trying to take over the world. He really said that. Which, I mean, like I said, I had no clue that the Freemasons were viewed like that by the Nazis during World War II. So I started digging deeper into it. And get this. During World War II, there was a guy named Adolf Eichmann, and he was part of the Nazi SS and served as the SS security service for the Dachau concentration camp. Now, while there, Hitler ordered him, you know, Adolf Eichmann, to first document all of the individuals there who were Freemasons. And then, after he got done writing down all the Freemasons, he wanted him to document uh, all the individuals who were Jewish. And it was Eichmann's duty to keep track of this roster. I did not know that. I've never heard that. Yeah, so the more you know. All right, Dan. So take us into our next one. All right. Our next strange fact and finding is about that William Morgan, the guy we talked about during the history of the Freemasons, who said he was going to tell all their secrets, and then he disappeared. Well, let's dig into that story a little deeper. So in the early 1800s, there was a lot of hate towards Freemasons, like we learned about in the history section. Yeah. And individuals saw them as like a group of people who had too much influence. Well, William Morgan and his friend David, who was a local newspaper publisher, they believed exactly the same thing as everybody else believed and thought that the Freemasons needed to be taken down, that they had too much influence. So these two men, David and William, uh, entered into a partnership to print a book to the public uh, which would be disclosing the secrets of the Freemasons in hopes of kind of like making a fortune out of it. Now, the only issue was that they had to somehow get their hands on the secrets that the Freemasons were guarding. So William pretended to be a Mason and was able to gain access to the local lodge and documented several of the organization's cryptic ceremonies and induction rituals. William brought the details to David, who then in August of 1826 started hinting about the upcoming expose in his publishings, saying he had discovered the strongest evidence of rottenness in the centuries-old institution. So David and William's threat to reveal the secrets of the Freemasons, this information kind of spread rapidly. In every neighboring county, uh, the Masonic chapters were pretty much outraged at what the two men might disclose. So then committees were formed by the Freemasons to assess the potential fallout from William and David's proposed story. Now, as the published date approached, the Masons began a targeted campaign of harassment against the two would-be book publishers. Law enforcement officers loyal to the Freemasons arrested and jailed William and David for outstanding debts. David's offices became a target as well. On September 8, a posse of drunken Masons tried to destroy his print shop, and it was damaged by a small fire two days later. Then, on September 11th, a gang of Freemasons showed up to William's house with an arrest warrant for Petty Larson. Now, it seemed he had borrowed a shirt and tie from the owner of a local tavern and never returned it. And that's why there was an arrest warrant for him. <laughs> So soon after he arrived at the police station, uh, the charges were dropped. And he was like, oh, sweet. Thanks, guys. And William was released and then immediately arrested again for having a debt of $2.65. So later on that evening, uh, William was actually bailed out by a group of Masons and he was never seen again. That was the last time anyone seen him. He's still missing to this day. And that happened in 1826. So if you see David or find him, let us know. Yeah. Dude, how much was 265 back then? So I think it was around, I don't know, like 75, 80, 90 bucks. If you do like inflation, right, to current time, it'd be around that much. I mean, 100 bucks. We'll round it up, 100 bucks. Yeah, 100 bucks. All right. The rumors of Morgan's disappearance spread throughout New York. The men accused of Morgan's disappearance were put on trial. But in January of 1827, 
they were handed relatively lenient sentences, ranging from one month to two years in jail. Now, following that, uh, the book was actually released by David, right? Because David was still alive. He wasn't missing, just William. And David was the author. William was the one who broke in and took all the information and gave it to David, and David wrote about it. He still had the book, and uh, he ended up releasing it. And this book described blood-curling descriptions of supposed Masonic rituals and vengeance oaths, which this book actually prompted an investigation into the Freemasons by New York state legislators in 1829. After the investigation, the committee's final report stated that, and I quote, the Freemasons have recently made demonstrations of a power astonishing in its effects upon the social and political compact of a character such as the friends of free institutions cannot fail to deplore. What the hell does that mean, Dan? I have no idea. I guess they demonstrated power. Too much power upon social and political people of free institutions that cannot fail. So they got a lot of power, pretty much. Yeah. They got a lot of friends in high places. Okay. Guess so. Well, that's good to know. Thanks a lot, New York State legislators. So, the book was released. What was it called? Uh, I have no idea what it was called. Light on Masonry. David Bernard, Freemasonry, Anti-Masonry, William Morgan. You could buy, looks like almost one of those books that were printed for 275 God dang. I'll find it as a PDF somewhere online. I'm not going to spend 285 bucks on that. Good Lord. Hey, it's a signed, no, I'm just kidding. Not signed. Hey, speaking of signed books, I bought a signed book for my son, a signed uh, Wilt Chamberlain book, his biography. I got a good deal on it, 30 bucks, and they sent me a non-signed version. I said, hey, where's my signed version, guys? They said, oh, sorry, we listed it wrong. You can send it back to us and get your money back. The real Wilt Chamberlain book is 230 bucks. the signed one. That's false advertising right there. Yeah, I want my signed Wilt Chamberlain book, guys. Right. All right, uh, so that was the last strange fact and finding of the episode. So now we're going to get into the theories section of the episode, which we have quite a few, uh, a lot more than we usually do. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they're all pretty good. All right, so our first theory that we're going to talk about regarding the Freemasons is by far the most common one that's associated with them. So this theory states that the Freemasons control the workings of our society because their members have infiltrated every organization and they hold all influence in world decisions. So pretty much what everyone was believing back in the 1800s. And I guess it could be interchangeable that the Freemasons could be the New World Order, right? When you talk about the New World Order trying to take over the world, which if this was true, Let's speculate if this was true. You had George Washington already pushing this in the 1700s. Yeah. I mean, they've already taken over by now. That's a theory if, you know, if it's true. Didn't, uh, well, it's a theory that the Freemasons made the Georgia Guidestones, right? And that's like the world, New World Order, isn't it? Yeah, that's a theory that they made the uh, Georgia Guidestones, which we've done an episode over that. You just go search Georgia Guidestones and it talks about how, what? Only 500,000 people are supposed to be alive on Earth to have a balanced planet, and they're all about balance. Yeah. Kind of like Thanos. Balance as in a compass balance? Yep. Hey, and in <laughs> our Denver airport episode where we talk about all the weird shit at Denver airport, there's actually a Freemason plaque there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Super weird, and a lot of like weird theories about there being tunnels and stuff underneath the Denver airport. Go listen to that episode if you haven't. It's pretty crazy. Anyways, all right, so let's continue on. Dan, tell us about this next theory, which is pretty common as our last theory that we just went over. All right, our next theory is that the Freemasons are actually Satan worshipers. Now, Freemasonry is commonly linked with Satanism, and this accusation first started way back in the 1730s by then Pope Clement. Since then, several Christians have proclaimed Freemasons as people who stand against God. These claims remain unproven at this point, but its proponents defend themselves against such claims, explaining that this is precisely why one of the requirements specifies they believe in a single God while not naming which religion's God. 
While the fraternity will say this is a way to keep the society open to people of all faiths, its detractors will often use this as justification for their allegations of devil worship in the Freemasonry. I can kind of see that. You know, when we were questioning that Master Mason, he did state, you know, a, a person has to have a religion to join. They just have to believe in a supreme being. It doesn't matter which supreme being, as long as it's a supreme being. Yeah. And I did notice that they had a Bible there. And he did mention off the record that they do keep a Bible on some stand or something inside their lodge. Of course, we couldn't actually go into the actual lodge area where they perform the rites and stuff. They wouldn't let us inside there. No, unless we want to end up like William. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, like kind of like push him over and take off running. But I didn't want to get arrested because I knew if I got arrested, there'd be no way I could bail myself out. And uh, I'd be trying to do a podcast in uh, jail. During visitation hours, me putting a microphone up to the telephone. <laughs> you could sneak a portable one up your ass and then give it to me. That's nasty. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so yeah. All right, let's get into our next theory. And this is where the theories kind of get pretty out there. So our next theory is about the Freemasons and the moon landing. Now, this theory states that uh, C. Fred Kleinchik, who uh, I'm pretty sure I pronounced his name wrong, he was ahead of NASA during the Apollo space mission program. Now, he is claimed to have been a sovereign grand commander of the Council of the 33rd Degree of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry of the Southern Jurisdiction. Jesus, what a title. So it means that Fred not only belonged to the elite of one of the world's most secret societies, but he was actually its leader. And uh, it was claimed that he was given this leader title as kind of like a reward for pulling off the moon landing and uh, it being fake. The government came to him and said, hey, we want you to do a fake moon landing. If you pull this off, you'll become the head Mason guy. And he's like, I got you guys. He pulled it off and they're like, hey, good job. Here's your title and of that long title, which I'm not going to repeat again. And uh, supposedly the first astronauts, uh, all of them are alleged to belong to this fraternity of Freemasons, which we know Buzz Aldrin is part of it. Yeah. When you tell him that the moon landing was fake, he goes crazy, doesn't he? Yeah. He ended up punching that one guy. But then again, that was like that one guy's like third or fourth time bugging him. He, he goes up to Buzz Aldrin with a Bible and says, Swear on this Bible that you landed on the moon. Buzz is like, get out of my face. The guy's like, swear on this Bible. He did it to him like three times, three separate days too. Buzz just whack hit him. I think I would have too by that time. I don't know. I mean, I don't see what the issue is. Is somebody came to me and was like, hey, swear on a Bible that you're not a Freemason. I don't care. Yeah, I'll swear on a Bible I'm not a Freemason because I'm not a Freemason. You know? Yeah. If I was, I'd be bringing a camera inside there and camcording it, which is why they would never accept me. Okay? That's right. All right. So, Dan, tell us about this next theory. So, this next theory is that the Illuminati are involved with the Freemasons. Now, this theory varies greatly with some saying that the Illuminati evolved from the Freemasonry, while others state it's the opposite. While an even smaller group of people claim the Illuminati have infiltrated the Freemasonry to capitalize on its network for their own recruitment purposes. This theory is sort of a spinoff of the New World Order theory, but it's interesting in the way it portrays the Illuminati as the secretive organization we know it to be, controlling the higher echelons of the Freemasonry, another highly secretive organization, all for the sake of world domination. I can kind of believe this, that the Illuminati is kind of like the secret organization in the background that you don't hear about. They're the ones who don't go to Bohemian Grove. They have their own whatever that nobody talks about. And they recruit only like the high up members of the Freemasons, like the ones who are the 33rd Freemasons, which, by the way, to become a 33rd Mason, you have to become a master Mason and then you work your way up through the ranks. That's a lot of work. Yeah. You got to make yourself all the way to the 33rd. I think that's what's going on. And this Freemasonry is kind of like, I guess the post, I don't want to say poster child, but used as kind of like wag the dog, look over here while we have this other organization that's truly doing the bad shit. You know what I mean? What if the 33rd degree of the Freemasonry is you becoming Illuminati? Ooh. The Freemasonry is like a test. That's a good question. We need to find a 33rd Freemason. Yeah, because you think about it, you have to like keep the secrets of the uh, Freemasons. You have to follow the rules and everything like that. And then once you make it to becoming a Master Mason, ascend. Yeah, I mean, by that point, you're already good at holding secrets and keeping them. Yeah. And showing your loyalty, 
So you meet all the qualifications and you're dedicated. You memorized all that stuff. I think that one guy who we interviewed said he had to memorize a buttload of uh, passages that he had to memorize, like historical documents of the Brotherhood. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's continue on with these theories. So our next theory is about wars. So apparently all larger conflicts in the Middle East can be associated to the Freemasons and they have like a hand in it that they have waged a war since the time of the Crusades and that uh, the September 11th attacks were organized by Freemasons in order to incite waves of anti-Islamic feelings throughout the world so that uh, religion can get broken up. I personally can't see that, but hey, my opinion doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Hold on, let me duck, duck, go that. Was Obama bin Laden... It's Osama bin Laden. Free, what'd I say? Obama. My bad. (laughs) Was Osama... Thanks, Thanks a lot, Obama. Thanks a lot, Obama bin Laden. Was Osama bin Laden a Freemason? I mean, he was, what, trained by the CIA, so you never know. I expect it to be like, oh, congratulations, you just found out our truth, and then my entire internet goes out. Um, off the get-go, it doesn't look like it. I'm trying to read to see if, uh, oh, okay. What they found on Osama bin Laden's uh, bookshelf, his English books, Bloodlines of the Illuminati. Really? Let's see what else. Project MKUltra, the CIA's program. The entire joint hearing before the select committee was printed out. Holy smokes. All CIA interventions since World War II. Secrets of the Federal Reserve. Damn, Osama bin Laden was a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, there's nothing off the uh, glance of the bookshelf that look like Freemasonry. I'll have to dive into it a little deeper. All right, Dan, uh, so tell us about our next theory, which is kind of similar to the one I just talked about. The next theory is that Freemasonry's main goal is to get rid of all religion. Along with the accusations of Satanism, several fingers have pointed to the Masonry as an enemy of Christianity. According to these claims, a prime example of a battle in this war occurred in Portugal at the start of the 20th century when the Freemasons took power by forming the first provisional government after the monarchy had been abolished. Supporters of this theory mentioned the first act of the provisional government in October 1910 was to declare all religious organizations to be illegal and expel all the Jesuits from the country. So what do you think of that? That's pretty interesting. October of 1910, they took over and they wanted to uh, declare all religious organizations to be legal. Didn't that only last for like a little while, though? Yeah. Like not even that long at all. So let's go on to our next theory, which is about Freemasons and Hollywood. So some claim that Freemasons have taken over Hollywood using its movie making industry to brainwash the masses. Apparently, countless directors and actors are also aware of this propaganda machine that has been implemented by the Freemasons, and they are actively participating in it. This propaganda machine plants the ideas that uh, a unified world government is a favorable one and a preferred system than what we currently have. And I'm guessing they're wanting to promote that thought so eventually they can control the entire world. And you have a one-world government, you have one leader, have him be a Freemason, bada-bing, bada-boom, you control the world. Easy as that. I don't really see that one, but... No. I mean, I, I do think there's people in Hollywood who are Freemasons, a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And obviously they use movies and TV shows as propaganda in certain cases. But I don't think it's to promote the idea of a unified world government. I think it would be for other things. Maybe destabilization? I don't know. It's just a thought. Hmm. All right, so let's continue on, Dan. What do you got next for us? This next one, the Freemasons are behind income taxes in the United States. That the IRS and the federal income tax are part of a deliberate plot perpetrated by Freemasons to control the American people and eventually the world. Okay, so what do we know? Money controls everybody, right? Money is power. Money is power. Money is control. And money buys you freedom. If you're rich, you can get away with certain things. And you can do certain things. And it is a way to control people. But in my opinion, I don't, I don't think that 
the Freemasons are behind income taxes? No. I mean, it's just my personal opinion. Anyway. All right. Um, so our next theory is probably one of my favorites. This theory is that Jack the Ripper, you know, the guy who went around killing a whole bunch of women and was never caught? Yeah. Well, this theory is that Jack the Ripper's killings were a work of the Freemasons. Now, this theory is actually built upon some quote-unquote proof, okay? Uh, so there was a testimony by a guy named Joseph Sickert, and he was a son of the painter Walter Sickert, who was allegedly involved in a plot along with some other important figures in British society, including, get this, the Queen's personal doctor, Sir William Gull, and the police commissioner, Sir Charles William. Now, according to Joseph, Queen Victoria's grandson and her heir, Prince Eddie, had married and fathered a child with an Irish Catholic commoner. You know, because commoners, people who are not royalty, you're not reptilian. Uh, so, as the family could not afford to have a Catholic bastard in line for the throne, that's for the theory, it's not me calling it a bastard, in line for the throne, the Freemasons were then tasked with eliminating all witnesses. So Sickert's father, you know, William the painter, accompanied Prince Eddie on his outings and pretended to be his brother. And they went and did all of these killings. And every single one who was killed from Jack the Ripper was actually a witness of this event as a cover-up. Hmm. Dan's really thinking hard into this one. He's thinking so hard he's rereading it. I am rereading it. So what I was trying to think back with Jack the Ripper, wasn't it, even though Mike murdered a bunch of women, very uh, nasty killings, weren't they cut with like precision though, like a doctor would do? That's why they mention uh, the Queen's Sir William Gull and police commissioner. They were all in on it. Ah. I was trying to figure out if Sir William Gull was with him, but if it was all of them involved in it, then yeah. I don't know. This is one of the things that have to be that we would have to dive deeper in on. Yeah. Like we'd have to actually look at all of the victims. Dude, there's so many suspects for that. Yeah. And we'd have to line up who they were associated with to see if there was actually a connection. That'd be an entire episode, but I'm down to do it. Not today, of course, but whenever we do Jack the Ripper. That'd be very difficult, probably. Yeah. Trying to find the records and stuff back then. Hey, we found some records during the Adrenochrome episode from 1914. That is true. All right, Dan, so tell us about our last theory. So this last theory that we have is that Mozart, you know, the famous composer, which I love his work, was murdered by the Freemasons. So get this, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was initiated as an apprentice of the f*** is that? Wudittischkeit. Yeah, the Vienna's Masonic Lodge. So he was initiated as an apprentice of Zur in December of 1784 and remained an active member of the fraternity until his death. In one of his most famous operas, The Magic Flute, Mozart incorporated various symbols from Freemasonry ceremonies. This was common throughout his work as he also penned several other Masonic odes. This theory points to an alternative interpretation of the circumstances of his death. How dare they get rid of him like that? They offed his ass. They knew that he was like, hey, he's putting our shit, our secrets in his work. We got to get him. Well, that's a theory. I don't think that happened, but it's a good one to think about. How dare they? All right. Um, so let's get into personal thoughts and theories around this. So, Dan, obviously, the Freemasons is a real group. Yeah. What is your thoughts? Do you think they have any nefarious things going on? Do you think they're trying to take over the world? Do you think they're a secret satanic organization? What is your thoughts and theories behind this entire thing? I mean, well, they're not a secret organization because if someone's a Freemason, they obviously have something on them that shows that they are a Freemason, for one. Like vehicles. A lot of them have the Freemason symbol on their vehicle, either like a little plaque or a sticker on their back windshield. You know, they let people know like, hey, I'm in the Freemasonry. But secret as in what they actually do? Yeah, I mean... I don't know, it just might actually be in a fraternity for people that's out of college. Who knows? You know, because once you get out of college, I mean, yeah, you're still part of the fraternity, but maybe this is just the next stage in life for a fraternity. I don't know, I've never been in a frat, so 
Uh, I've never been in one either. Uh, I dated a chick that was in a sorority. She was in, what was it? Uh, she went to Stephen F. Austin out in Nacogdoches. Yeah. I drove from Waco all the way to Nacogdoches just to see her. Oh, my God. It was a long-ass drive. She was part of, like, Delta Delta Chai or some shit. I don't know. She tried to uh, let me stay in her dorm room, and I had to pretend I was a woman. And uh, I walked into the dorm room, and the lady at the desk was like, hey. I said, yes. <laughs> that didn't work. She said, get the hell out of here. You're not allowed in here. So then we had to wait till she left the desk, and then uh, my girlfriend came out and got me and took me up, and uh, I laid in that small-ass bed of hers. Then they had this person that would come in and open the door and check in the dorm rooms to make sure they wouldn't do anything. I would hate to live in a dorm, man. Sounds like a pain. Dude, I went to one college, uh, and I went into my buddy's dorm room, and it literally looked like a prison. It was concrete walls, concrete floor, bed was attached to the wall and stuff. And it's like actually one of those high up uh, colleges too. Yeah, things get rowdy over there, man. But you know, like, yeah, being a frat or a sorority, even after you graduate college and stuff, you're part of that, you know, organization. You still follow the rules. If you're called upon, you're called upon. I mean, you got to help someone out. You got to help out your fellow brothers or sisters. Yeah, I I agree. It's kind of like a brotherhood for individuals to, I think, some help their community. But like that Master Mason said, pretty much, you know, when you join, there's various things that you can do. It all depends on what you want to do, right? You can do charitable work or you can hang out with the brothers or, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're doing anything evil. I mean, it's kind of hard considering most of the things they do are secret. Yeah. There's only speculations. Well, let's just say hypothetically, if they were doing anything illegal, this is speculation, people. I don't need anybody showing up at the end of my bed wearing a full black robe ready to beat my ass. Let's say, you know, if they were doing something illegal, they would have to be doing it with the knowledge of like, hey, we have protection from up above, right? As in up above, as in not God or Lucifer or whoever they believe in, but as in high ranking officials. Yeah. And how uh, prior presidents and, uh, and supreme justices, you know, they were Freemasons. And if a brother comes in distress, you're supposed to help them out. Yeah. So, eh, I don't know. I mean, Bohemian Grove, you think about it. They have a meeting there to help each other out. They pick who they want, you know, I guess become president or whatever. It could be them doing that. Yeah, it could be. Um, if I had to go with something, I don't think on the surface level, it's anything bad. I think they do great stuff. It's me personally. Now, when I say I think they do great stuff, I mean at a local community level because there is Shriners and to be a Shriner, you have to be a Freemason and they do a lot of uh, charity work at hospitals and stuff like that. Now, just like we mentioned earlier, I believe if you get up to the higher levels, like the 33rd and you go to the Grand Lodge not just one of your local lodges, but you go to a Grand Lodge, I think there might be, this is my own personal opinion, there might be a potential for some outside influence to say, hey, uh, this guy is a very high up and a go-getter, and he's already a 33rd, and he keeps secrets, and he's a good influence. Let's try and recruit him for our nefarious group, whether it be the Illuminati or New World Order or or some type of secret group that we have no idea exists. And this Freemasonry group is kind of like looked at as like, hey, that's the Illuminati, you know. They're doing all this stuff, when in reality it's the other one. That's what I believe. I mean, what you got to think about it though, with any group, even if you do have good apples, there are always bad apples. That's true. And usually it's the bad apples that will lower the rep of that organization. That's all it takes is one bad apple. Yeah, I, I agree. That's what sucks about it is no matter, doesn't matter how many good people you might have, it's that one bad apple that's going to get noticed. Yep. That one bad apple defines the entire organization or person or group that it's connected to. Now, I'm not going to say that the Freemasons are good. I don't know what the hell they are. I mean, they do help it, you know, community things. So on the surface level, like you're saying, they're, they're doing good for some things. We need to dig deeper. We need to secretly sneak into a meeting. I did have a few people message me and say that they were Masons. I did have that as well. And that they don't do anything bad. And I'm like, that's what 
a bad Freemason would say. Somebody's got to be doing something bad. I'm just kidding. They're not all good. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. But overall, this episode was interesting, you know. It was. I learned a lot of new stuff. Yep. So do you have anything else you want to add to this episode before we move to our on the scene for the week? No, I don't think I got anything else for this episode. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. I hope you all enjoyed it. Now we are going to move to our on the scene. Now, if you don't know what our on the scene is, it is where each week uh, we play a audio recording from a listener of someone that goes out into the public and interviews a family member, a stranger, whomever, and asks them about current conspiracy happenings. So like I stated, you can do this. Um, All you have to do is just record it on your phone and uh, make sure it's less than two minutes long and send it to one of our email addresses. And that's all it takes? Yep. And we will play it at the end of the show each week. All right. So this week's On the Scene is from Cameron, and we're going to play that right now. Hey, guys, this is Cameron on the scene with here with uh, Kenneth. So, Kenneth, uh, do you believe in Bigfoot? Uh, I believe there's some out there like a Bigfoot or something. Okay, uh, what about uh, UFOs? I believe there's something out there like UFOs or something as well. So what makes you think that? Uh, there's, it's too big not to be some out there. Okay. Uh, what about demons or the paranormal? Do you believe in that? Oh, yeah. I, I've had experience with the ghost before, I think. Oh, let's hear about that. Well, I'm over at a woman's house, and uh, she takes me into her grandma's house. And uh, we walk in there, and we sit down at the dining room table. No one else is in the house. And I said, uh, I'd like to meet uh, meet meet this person, and uh, his person's name is Kent. And as soon as I said that my name, we heard a male's voice on the other room say, Kenneth. So, yeah, it freaked me out pretty, pretty well, and there's no one else in the room, so yeah. Okay, uh, one last question. Uh, do you believe that there is corruption in the government? Oh, yeah, from top to bottom. All right. Thank you very much. I would have left that woman's house. Right? Screw that. If some girl said, hey, I want you to come meet my grandparents and takes me to an empty house and then sets me down and says, here, meet Aaron. And then I hear somebody go, Aaron, from across the room. Dad, I'm out, bitch. I take off running. (laughs) She's over there getting a Ouija board, summoning up her dead grandparents and shit. Do you approve of this new man that I just met? Ugh. My God. Hey, I'm gonna go hang out with my girlfriend's dead uh dead grandparents. <laughs> See yeah, later. That would have freaked me oh out. Been like, I would have just like stared at her and be like, what the hell? And then probably ran out. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Ugh. Thank you for the uh voicemail this week, Cameron, and thank you for the interesting story, Kenneth. Always appreciate it. Kenneth. All right. Uh so now we're gonna go to shout outs real quick. Dan, who do you have for shout outs this week? All right. I have a nice little list from facebook and a couple from instagram starting with facebook we have michael c luke w eric k jim y leo l sabrina l olay i think that's how his name is said from toronto deidra m marcus and aisha joshua c gavin w he he wrote in because of the uh, Buckley squirrel story that you told Aaron, and he was saying that that squirrel was very ferocious because I think it was like the, either his town or the next town over. He heard about it. Nice. Then uh, Jim L, Alex G, Chris K, Matthew M, Brian D, Jesse R, and that's all for Facebook. And then two from Instagram is Taylor H and Jack Waters. That's all my shout outs. All right. Well, I'll start mine. So on Instagram, uh, we got Kaylee, Chelsea C, Junior Rich. Shout you out. Your stickers are coming, man. Lorraine, Haley B, CZ Fishing Lures, Luke Walton, Jeff Kennedy, Deb Crush, Brett. Taylor Mockman. And by the way, I've been getting a ton of messages on Instagram like, hey, give me your e-transfer or PayPal or give me your cash app or whatever. You ain't getting it. You ain't getting it. How about you give me yours and I'll give you money instead? Pull a scam and request money instead of sending. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Swin Brock, Javier De La Fuente, uh, Messino Copeland, Skylar Hall, Jay Jensen. I just got a few more. Zach Sparks, Germs. And then I got to go over to my personal Instagram. Ash, Joe Quinto Music, Cameron Brown, Mary Doral, Clayton, Angela, Allie, Debbie, Ellen, Abram, Hobbs, Edward, and then uh, Ryan B in my emails. And uh, that's all my shout outs. Well, most of them. If I didn't get to you, I'll get to you next week. I got a list and I just go down it. Yeah, I probably missed a few. I had a list uh, last time, but we didn't get a chance to go to shout outs and I have no idea where I put that list. Oh, we'll find it. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else you want to say to the listeners? Anything you want to tell them? I just want to say, hey, if you're waiting for a sticker, it's coming. They're coming. We got an ass load that we're doing. It's only me and Dan doing it. It's only two of us. Takes time. You know, I'm having to handwrite all of them. So you'll, you'll be getting them. Just please have patience with us. Yeah, having to go to the post office and buy uh, pre-stamped envelopes. Buying out the post office. I'll take $500 worth. I'll take $1,000 worth, sir. We can't sell you that here. You got to order that online. I said, well, I'm not licking them all myself. I can't lick them all myself. She said, that's what she said. I said, oh, how immature are you? And then I left. All right. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.